0: This is the Austin Life Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Okay, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So I feel like typically when when we start a new book of the Bible, I should give some introduction um, to the book. But then I was thinking... Like, the first readers didn't get an introduction, like no one packaged for them like, hey, let me introduce to you the book of Acts and give you an overview and a synopsis and let me tell you like what was around it. They just got these letters and started reading. And then as they were reading, they were like, Oh, this is what's being communicated. So I just thought maybe we could start reading and try to read it from the lens of this is the first time we're hearing it, and, and we gotta trust that God will give us the context and He'll tell everything to us as we as we go along. Uh, so, so let's do that. Let's just start reading. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's we'll stop there. So if we're just getting this, um, then, then what we see in this is that the, this was written to a man named Theophilus. So that's like dear Theophilus. That's what we see in the first few words. In the first book, O Theophilus. We also see this isn't the first book, right? This is at least the second, maybe it's the third, maybe it's the sixth, we're, we're not sure, right? So if we're Theophilus, what we'll know when we get this, if we put ourselves in his shoes and we get this letter and we just start reading, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that J- Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. What we would know if we're Theophilus is that he's referencing the Gospel of Luke. So if you turn over to the left a few pages, Um, To Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we read this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So, if we we see in Luke chapter 1 that the Gospel of Luke was written by the doctor Luke to a man named Theophilus, and then in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we see that there's a second book, another book being written to Theophilus again. We can see that that really it's a two part writing. The Gospel of Luke is part 1, and Acts is part 2. The Gospel of Luke talks about what Jesus began to do and teach up to the point when he returned to heaven. The book of Acts then talks about what Jesus is continuing to do even though he's ascended to heaven. So you've got this point in time where the Gospel of Luke is the the life, the teaching of Jesus up to the point when he goes to heaven. Acts then picks up Acts 1 and Luke 24, they kind of overlap. It picks up and begins the rest of the story. What is Jesus still doing? How is he still working in this world even though he has gone to heaven? And so that's what we start to see here is that there's this continuation of the story. What what now? What what happens now that Jesus has ascended to heaven? When when I read these first two verses, I, I start asking questions like, okay, well, what did Jesus begin to do and teach? And what, what were the commands that he gave through the Holy Spirit? And, and are, are those things still important? Is that still what Jesus is emphasizing? Is that still what matters to, to Jesus? And so if you listen to Mark chapter 1, stay, if, stay in Luke if you have your finger there, but listen to Mark chapter 1. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says in verse 14, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So Jesus comes on the scene. What he begins to do and teach is all about the kingdom of God. He shows up and he says, Hey, the kingdom of God is here. Repent from going your own way, and, and, and believe me, trust me, be a part of this kingdom with me. In Luke chapter 4, if, you're still, if you still happen to be there, um, we get a description of what this kingdom is like a little bit. Verse 18, it says, the, Jesus is speaking, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then if you continue just a little bit further in chapter 4 in verse 43, Jesus said to the the crowd who was listening to him, he said, "I, I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So when we say, like, what was Jesus? Like, what did he begin to do and teach? What well, we see from the very beginning of his ministry and, and what he, he describes is that he came to bring the kingdom of God to earth and to invite all people to come and be a part with him. Like that's a good summary of, of, of Luke. That's a summary of the Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is that Jesus came and what he began to do and to teach was that the kingdom of God was here on earth and that anyone and everyone was invited to come and be a part of that kingdom by trusting Jesus and following him. So we don't, we don't use the word kingdom a lot unless we're watching a TV show um, or a movie or something, right? Like. Us in America, we don't we don't think in that context a whole lot. So, so what is a kingdom? I mean, I'm sure you could write out a definition, and and it would probably be pretty accurate. Um, But but I wrote one down, and since I have the face mic, this is what it is, and we get to go with this way. Um, a, A kingdom is made up of a people who follow the rule and reign of a king. Like we could think like, oh, a kingdom is is a boundary. Like if you look at a map and you you kind of follow an outline of. Of a country or a kingdom. I think that's the kingdom, but but a kingdom really moves beyond uh, boundaries. It's it's made up of a people, right? So I can still be a part of a kingdom and live over there because I submit to and I follow the rule and reign of that king, right? So a kingdom is made up of a people. You've got to have a people who follow the rule and reign of a king. The, The way of life that the king sets out The people who submit to that come up under that. That is the kingdom of that king. So if Jesus came to bring the the kingdom of God, who's the king? What's the the ruler? What's his way of life? And who are the people? Well, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is the king. It says that he's the king of kings. It says that he is seated on the throne right now. Jesus is on his throne as king. What is his way of life? Jesus says the greatest commandments is to love God and love others. The way of Jesus' life of his kingdom is selfless love for God and for others. Who are his people then? Anyone and everyone who trusts Jesus as king and submits their life to his way of loving God and loving others. So Jesus is king. The way of life within that kingdom is of love for God and love for others. And any person who submits their life to Jesus as king and follows his way of love for God and for others, those are the people who are a part of his kingdom. And so Luke, he tells us that that that's what Jesus began to do and to teach, was to bring this kingdom on earth to bring it to all people and we know that it's for anyone and everyone look if we just read the gospels we see the people that Jesus interacted with right like it wasn't just the 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 powerful and influential I think a lot of times I'm like okay I need to build a movement like give me the powerful and influential people because because that's who I need to really generate some some momentum but but Jesus goes to all people right the first people he calls are Jewish fishermen People who flunked out of school, and so they had to go back to the trade of their father because they didn't make it far enough in the educational system. Like, that's the first people that Jesus goes to. And then then he's walking by, and he sees Matthew, a tax collector, who a tax collector at the time was a traitor to his own people. Uh, Matthew, as a tax collector, was raised a Jew, and then as Rome took over, Rome was like, hey, we we need to collect taxes So, hey, we'll hire some of you Jewish people to go and collect taxes from your your fellow neighbors. And the way that you'll profit is by overtaxing. So so Matthew would get the the command from Rome, hey, go collect 15%. And Matthew would be like, done, got it. And he'd go and he'd knock on your door. And with the power of the Roman army behind him, he'd say, hey, taxes are due. It's 20%. 15% he'd send back to Rome. 5% he'd put in his pocket. Then he'd go to the next neighbor or family member. Hey, taxes are due. Rome is behind me. If you don't pay, you're going to die 20%. 15% goes to Rome. 5% goes to himself. And so tax collectors were despised among Jews because everybody knew what they were doing, but they didn't have any power to do anything about it. And yet that's who Jesus says, hey, I want you to be with me. Like, I'm calling you. We see Jesus interacting with women of all kinds of of class and socioeconomic status. We see Jesus interacting and inviting the, the blind, lame beggar. We see Jesus interacting with the rich and the elite. We see Jesus inviting anyone and everyone to the table to be a part of his kingdom. So yes, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We are only a Christian when we fall behind him. And so we talked about the previous couple of weeks. We are only a disciple when we say, I'm done with my life and I submit fully to the way of Jesus. But everyone is invited. It's the most inclusive invitation of anything. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You don't have to have to get the rules right. You don't have to know the right songs. You don't have to know where Acts is in the Bible. You don't have to, you just have to say, Jesus, I'm in And trust that he will transform us along the way. There's no other religion or faith that you get to come in as you are. You have to do something first. But with Christianity, with the kingdom of God, anyone and everyone is welcome to have a seat at the table if we will simply say, Jesus, that's it. you're, You're it. And so that's what Jesus came and began to do and to teach so then I ask, okay, well, now that Jesus has resurrected and has and gone back to heaven, is that what he's still about? Like, is that still his, his emphasis? Verse 3 gives us a little, a little clue. After his resurrection, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus raises from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 says he presented himself alive to over 500 people, and he had one topic at hand, the kingdom of God. That's it. He's got 40 days left on earth to, to, to get his people ready, to, to continue his mission, and he talks about one thing, the kingdom of God. So yeah, I think that it is still a high priority for him. I think that he began to, to do, to bring the kingdom, and to teach about it, and then I think it continues to matter after his resurrection, because for the 40 days, that is what he speaks about. Now, I, I want to highlight something else um, that I, I, just, I just think is really generous and kind of Jesus. It, it says at the beginning of verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. By, 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 by many proofs, by continuing to prove that he is Jesus, that he is alive, I look at that and I think, A, wouldn't the fact that he's presenting himself alive be enough proof in and of itself, right? Like, you, we saw Jesus die, we saw him be buried, and now he's alive. Like, I'm thinking, that's enough proof, right? What else do you need? But what I love about the Bible is that it meets us where we are, um, and, and, and really, we, we probably have plenty of proofs, and yet we still doubt. We still have questions. I, in Matthew 28, it's, it's kind of also recapping this scene where Jesus is at his very end and about to ascend to heaven. And it says that the disciples and others have come, and, and they're worshiping Jesus, comma, but some doubted. Hold on. There's a crowd gathered. Jesus has been alive for 40 years days. He's proven himself. He went and ate fish with people. He let, he let Thomas touch him because Thomas was looking at him and was like, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, dude, just touch me. Come on. Like, just see for yourself. He, he, he showed up to people walking along. Look, Jesus doesn't have to prove himself to us, y'all. He, he's the king. You don't go up to the king and be like, hey, you need to prove yourself to me. No, the king comes to you and says, do what I tell you to do. You prove yourself to me. Jesus is is king. He has lived perfectly. He has died from the dead. And now he is stinking alive. And yet he continues to prove himself faithful and real to the people who doubt him while they stand there and look at him. To me, I look at that and I go, God, you are so patience with us you're so incredibly patient because I lose my patience so easily so quickly and yet God is like hey hey, hey! I'm alive in the flesh and I'm still gonna prove myself to you again I'm still gonna meet you where you are in your doubts and show you again that I am who I say I am. I mean, I've told my story that when I was seven, I prayed a prayer and I thought I was a Christian, but I was was scared that I wasn't. I was scared of getting to heaven one day and being rejected by God. I've learned that I'm an Enneagram six, which right now I currently hate with a passion. Um, Oh, yeah, you too? I hate it. I hate it with a passion right now. Um, But apparently Enneagram six personalities are like your questioners, um, they're your doubters. And, and our, our biggest fear is rejection. It is being, um, is, is fu- like moving somewhere where you think you're accepted and then you actually get rejected. And I was afraid and terrified of being rejected by God. And so I would literally Pray this prayer over and over and over and over again. God, please, you know, forgive my sins. Accept me into your life. God, what if I get there and I'm not really a Christian? What if I have to go to hell forever? God, I don't want that. Like, I would just pepper him over and over and over and over again with my doubts and fears. And he never went anywhere. And he was just patient and faithfully opening my eyes to finally trust him. And to know that I'm safe with him. Yeah, I don't know if you thought, like, man, my time's up. I've, like, I've worn out my welcome with God. But if the people standing and looking at Jesus alive in the flesh didn't wear out their welcome, I, I don't think we're going to wear out our welcome. I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know what you're bringing to the table. I don't know. It, what, what doubts or fears you have, but, but if God accepts people with doubts, um, I think he's going to accept us with our doubts. I think he's patient and he's going to walk with us for the long haul because he's a good, loving God. So Jesus, he, he presents himself alive well, don't, don't, don't rush past that, y'all. If Jesus is still dead, let's pack it up. Let's sleep in on Sundays. Let's go to, let's go to snooze and get some, br- some brunch. Because they got great brunch. Although the line is ridiculous. You know, but let's, if Jesus is not alive, like, let's just, come on, let's do something else. Like, it's not worth it. it it's, it'd be a lot easier just to say, oh yeah, whatever works. but he's alive. And so here here's the deal. You, we got to do something with that. Like we we have to do something with that that Jesus is alive. That's Now the ball's in our court. We have to do something with that. We have to do something with the fact that no one has ever found his body. We have to do something with the fact that there are over 500 eyewitnesses. We have to do something with the fact that that men who were terrified of teenage slave girls and being associated with Jesus are now boldly empowered and giving their lives for this person that if he's still dead, I don't think they're giving their lives for. Like we've got to do something with the fact that Jesus is alive. And so we're either going to say like, I don't know anybody else like that. This guy is king and God, I'm following him. Or we're gonna look at the resurrection of Jesus and say, ah, you know, I still think I know what's best. We have to do something with that. This is the turning point of the entire world. Our calendar flipped around the person of Jesus. We have to do something with this man and the fact that he was killed and came back to life. And this is what gives him the authority to give the commands that he gives. Because he's alive. He he can give the commands to the apostles because he is alive. So what are his commands? like? What does Jesus then say now that he is alive? What are the commands that he gives? And we have to decide if we're going to listen to the commands of the risen king or not. What are the commands? Verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus says, hey, wait here in Jerusalem. The Spirit's coming. Let's keep reading. We'll touch on that in just a second. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they were still thinking that Jesus was going to raise up this powerful new nation, Israel, like the literal nation of Israel. They were like, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And he said, it is not time, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So like recap, hey, focus on what you need to focus on. God will take care of the rest, okay? And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The risen Jesus looks at his followers and commands them, you are to go and to take the kingdom of God to all people in all places, that is his command for us he he began to bring the kingdom of god and to invite all people and then after his resurrection he says hey you will receive my power and you will now go be my ambassadors my representatives my witnesses you will go and make disciples of all people in all places this is called the great commission that Jesus had in his mind not just a literal nation of Israel but an entire world that would fall into his kingdom and trust him and worship him as king. And the crazy thing is he's entrusted you and I to be his mouthpieces and his representatives. Like it's hard to get your mind around this. Think for a second, right? Like there was nothing and then God, with a, a word, spoke all of creation into existence. Right? So, so God speaks and there's light. God speaks, and there is a, a, an earth and a solar system, and there's then there's water and there's grass. Like, like God, God does all that. God, God can do whatever He wants. He is God. So if God's like, I want to have a kingdom of people that worship me, we also have to say, God can do that however he wants, right? He's God. He gets to, he's kind of writing the script. But then he says, no, no, but here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to entrust my disciples to go and make more disciples. I'm going to entrust the people who follow me. I'm going to give them the power and the command to go and to expand the kingdom. God, who can do whatever he wants, chooses to use us. We are his ambassadors. God making his appeal through us that is his command the command of the king to those who follow is now you go and make disciples if jesus purpose was to bring the kingdom of god to earth then our purpose should be to bring the kingdom of god to earth if jesus did that by selflessly loving others then we should selflessly love others If Jesus brought God's kingdom by sacrificially serving all people, then we should bring God's kingdom by sacrificially serving all people. If Jesus put on humility and lifted up everyone above himself, then we should bring God's kingdom by putting on humility and lifting up everyone above ourselves. If Jesus brought God's kingdom by inviting everyone to come and to see who he is, then we should bring God's kingdom by inviting everyone to come and see who he is. First John 2 says that if we abide in him, we are to walk just as he walked. Either John got the command of God wrong, or we're actually supposed to walk just as Jesus walked. We're supposed to bring the kingdom of God the same way that Jesus did. We're supposed to love our enemies to actively do good to those who are actively opposing us, just the way that Jesus did. When we are accused and slandered just the way that Jesus was accused and slandered, we're not supposed to defend and fight back. We're supposed to let God defend and fight back for us, just the way that Jesus did. We're to bring the kingdom of God just the way that Jesus did, and we're to open our mouths and to tell all people in all places how they can find life in Jesus just the way that Jesus did. That is our command from our king. A life of total surrender. How in the world are we gonna do that? Like, how? I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to do it, he's God, you know? Like, of course, Jesus could pull that off. I I mean, I'll speak for myself, probably not the same for you. I'm a far distance from Jesus. Like, I am not Jesus. How am I supposed to then do what Jesus did? The start of verse 8, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Before Jesus ever died, he was talking about this. Turn a couple pages to the left to John chapter 14. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If uh, our love is demonstrated by our obedience to his commandments, let's just take the words of Jesus and let that rest on us. If we love him, we will obey him. End of story. That's what he says. Jesus was saying in in John that that he's going to go back to heaven. He was telling him, hey, I'm I'm fixing to take off here, but don't don't worry. I'm not going to leave you alone. Like it's actually going to be better for you, he says, that I go to heaven because he's going to send his literal spirit to live in us, to dwell in us. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 8. He talked about the spirit of God in us Paul's saying, hey, look, the same Spirit of God that took Jesus from death to life, that enabled Jesus to take on the full powers of hell itself and to overcome, that Spirit of God dwells in us. Like, has come and is inside of us. And Jesus says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses, but don't worry, you're not going to be alone. I got you. I'll take care of this for you. You don't know what to say, don't worry. I'll tell you what to say because the spirit of truth is in you. You don't know how to do it, don't worry. I'll give you the spirit of strength to carry you. The spirit of the living God is in us if we have trusted Christ. We cannot overlook that. If that is true, if you are a Christian and the spirit of Christ is in you, and it means that we cannot say, I can't do that. I can't, I can't share that. I can't put on self-control. I can't resist temptation. I can't walk like Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is in us, which means we are fully able to live like Jesus. What we have to say is, I choose not to live like Jesus. That, that's what it means, that the spirit of Christ is in us. It's not an ability issue. It's not, I can't do this. Oh, we can. Otherwise, his spirit is not enough. So we can do it, it's just a matter of if we will walk in the spirit that is in us. If we will obey what he has told us to do. So we're like, man, I'm, I don't have patience. Well, the fruit of the spirit is patience. So we have patience available to us. It's just a matter of if we're going to obey what God tells us to do with it or not. I, I can't be humble. Well, the spirit of the humble Christ is in us. So we have the ability to be humble 24-7. It's just a matter of if we're going to put on humility or not. It's there. The spirit of Christ is in us to do everything that he has told us to do. We are commanded to take the name of Jesus to all people in all places. And I'm like, man, I don't know if we can do that. And I've said that, gosh, more than I'd like to say in the last couple of years. And the Bible says, no, no, you can do it. It's not about if you can't or not, because the spirit of Christ in you can do it. It's just a matter of are we going to walk in obedience to what Christ is doing in us. This is our command. This is the, the final words that Jesus gave to his followers. Look, if, you're, if you take the name of Jesus today, this is not optional. We don't get to say, hey, yeah, I want to do this, this, and this, but, but proclaiming the name of Jesus to my coworker, it's, it's just not optional. I'm going to do this, this, and this, but but moving to take the name of Jesus to a people who haven't heard, I can't, I can't do it. Inviting my neighbor to hear of Jesus, I can't, I can't do that. Telling my family of the faith I have in Christ, that's, that's hitting too close to home. But Jesus says we're going to be his witnesses to Jerusalem. That's our hometown. To Judea. That's the surrounding region. To Samaria. That's the region beyond that. And to every corner of the earth, we are his witnesses of the kingdom of God. That's his command. That's what he leaves these disciples with. I love the interaction that comes after this right verse 9 it says when he had said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight so jesus ascends to heaven where he is today alive ruling and reigning as king so they watch him go And then while they were gazing into heaven, right? Like, yeah, me too. I'm just going to be staring there as well. While they're gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So some form of angelic beings and said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive, which is near Jerusalem. Right? So. They're just standing there kind of like dazed and confused, as I would be too. And these angels show up, and they're like, hey, hey, come on. You don't to stand around anymore. Like, he he's gone. He's in heaven, but he's going to come back. Don't worry. Go get to work. Then they went. I love that obedience, right? Like, they didn't sit and be like, hey, what do y'all think happened? Like, was that a smoke and mirrors thing? Or... What do we, no, these angels show up and they're like, hey, hey, come on, let's go. And they went. And we'll see now in Acts what their lives looked like following the resurrection and commands of Jesus. Here's the deal. It is a drastically empowered and courageous life of following Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus. Their lives were never the same. We stand here today in this church because if if you see in verse 15, that first church in Jerusalem was about 120 people. 120 faithful men and women who obeyed the commands of Jesus and we are the recipients of their faithfulness. And now it's our turn. To demonstrate that same faithfulness to other men and women who need to know the life that is in Jesus. Because our King has told us, and because we love people enough to tell them and show them how they can have life. The book of Luke began to show what Jesus did and taught. Acts is now the story of how Jesus is continuing to work through the power of his spirit in us. It's still going on. Until the day Jesus returns, we are living out the book of Acts. Jesus is working in us and through us by the power of his spirit. The question is, will we be faithful to the command that he gives us? Will we show the kingdom to the world around us Will we tell of the kingdom to the world around us Will we invite all people in all places to sit at the table with king jesus today and forever that's our command those are our marching orders now it's just time to go <laughs> thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com